G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the semi-final week preview edition. Boy, we're getting close now. Just five games of the 2021 AFL season left. Eight finalists have become six. It's pretty cutthroat now from here on in and it's pretty exciting stuff. This podcast, excitingly brought to you by our official partners, Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. As uh, I say, very good morning to my Footyology podcast co-host, um, who is going to thank a couple of other wonderful sponsors and also give his introductory thoughts. Mark Fine, a very big welcome to you. G'day, Rojo. I tell you what, it's the... Uh... Start of spring here in Melbourne, beautiful early spring day, and that normally is an entree to fantastic finals football at the G. We know that's not possible this season, but I think we're pretty excited nevertheless. I certainly am for a couple of great finals, and we know that, and we'll discuss shortly, the role that Perth is going to play for the rest of the season. So bring it on. Um, I'll tell you one thing about finals football, Robert. You better better. Much better as a supporter to be in it than to be looking on, but it's still bloody interesting to be looking on. And I, and I know that we've got a couple of great sponsors to thank. And you know what? Finals football, That what does that mean? It means that the cream has risen to the top. And when it comes to making hamburgers, I don't talk about the cream. I talk about the very, very top, the absolute, well, if it was a cappuccino, it would be that sprinkle of chocolate on top of the froth. And that's Andrew's Hamburgers at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Beautiful burgers. What better on a lovely spring day to take a bite of the perfect burger with the 100% beef patty in the middle. Thank you, Andrew's at 144 Bridport Street. How about housing? How about the best house in the street? How about all the mod cons? How about the latest innovations from Europe right here in your home in Melbourne? That's the Renault that you're after. And I know who you want to do the job because you know the name. If you're a listener to this podcast, it's West Point Properties, Nick Spartels and the team for the dream home, Rowan. Well, if you want the best of sporting statistics, finding there's only one place to head. That is Stats Insider, a sports and data-driven industry leader providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world. And that includes this season's English Premier League and where the addition of Cristiano Ronaldo has only marginally moved Manchester United, who are now a 67.1% chance of finishing top four and an 11.8% chance of winning their first EPL title in eight years. Massive news, that was. 
Stats Insider simulates an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and the probability of each result. Along with their famed pre-match and in-game projections, Stats Insider is also known for their full season projections and which still has Melbourne as premiership favourites and who win the premiership in 34.7% of simulations. Stats Insider is also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis. Everything's free to use on site, so check them out at statsinsider.com.au and give them a follow on Twitter, at Stats Insider. Give them a follow and unfollow me because I've had enough of it after being the subject of a pylon last Sunday night. No, all in good fun. I'm always up for a bit of banter on Twitter. So uh, follow me as well if you don't. Uh, you can follow Mark Fine, but he never checks it out, so don't bother about that. Uh, all right, we had a lot of footy to talk about, big previews. But first, let's have a chat about the big news of the football week. On Footyology News Feed. Well, massive footy news around this week in uh, various guises. Uh, no doubt what the, the biggest story has been, certainly with the biggest ramifications for the premiership race, and that was the suspension of GWS star Toby Green for three matches for unnecessary, aggressive and demonstrative contact with field umpire Matt Stevick at three-quarter time of last week's elimination final win over Sydney. It was always going to be huge. The moment it happened, we must have seen 500,000 replays of it, uh, various angles of it. It uh, was a pretty lengthy tribunal hearing. The tribunal, even after hearing all the evidence, deliberated for, I think it was 44 minutes before delivering a verdict. That verdict was a three-game suspension, which puts Toby Green out of the remainder of this season, even if the Giants get to the grand final. Massive blow for them. Uh, I'll get your take on it, Finey. Uh, the first thing I thought when I heard the three-game penalty was, uh, forget the rights or wrongs, I thought it was probably a politically quite astute penalty from the AFL because it wasn't so long people were going to be screaming persecution, but was long enough to ensure he didn't play any part in the rest of this final series. How do you see it? Yeah, I agree with that take on it, that sort of the wisdom of Solomon was brought into play and while three games for some people isn't enough, potentially three finals, including a grand final, is an enormous penalty. Now, it probably won't play out like that. GWS unlikely to make the grand final, but they're still in the running. So I think it was once agreed upon that this was an act that was demonstrative and avoidable, the right penalty length. We had everything from 12 weeks to zero weeks being sounded out in the media. But I got a sense pretty quickly that there wasn't a lot of defence for Toby Green. Now, I personally feel that, and I understand fully and have come probably even to a greater understanding that the example that is set by the tribunal in AFL judgments is important and does resonate. Oh, look, I know this. It resonates through all competitions, not just junior competitions. 
and there is no room for any contact with the umpire. That became plainly obvious as a main plank for why this was going to be a penalty situation for Green. I think what he was not afforded was in the old trial by media, much of a hearing. I'll say this, that had his opponents, Geelong, been similarly placed, I remember when Paddy Dangerfield was reported for a dumping tackle against the Blues some while back, telephone lines, radio, across the board, newspaper letters were flooded with support for Dangerfield and it became a murkier situation. Look, GWS just doesn't have, don't have the fans to rally behind Toby Green. That being said, I think that there was a sense of inevitability of the penalty and he probably comes out as well as he possibly can and that can be best understood by the fact that GWS are taking this no further. Wasn't, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but your initial argument was that he should get off, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, any intentional contact with the umpire is absolutely verboten. Absolutely. If you're in a, and, and I, I take Matt Stevick's call on this. He felt that there was nothing in it. He didn't feel threatened by it at all. That was his take. I think that you can be caught up in the moment and accidentally brush an umpire. Look, we have excused something in football, Rowan, that was for a while considered a, a suspendable act, and that is bowling over the umpire during the game. It happened over the weekend. So there's no duty of care on the field. Now, can't you accept that in that incident that a focused Toby Green completely unintentionally brushed past an umpire who felt not threatened by it and in no way felt that it was intentional. If you follow that line, then I don't believe the play should be suspended, and I stand by that. Yeah, gee, it puts you in a pretty small minority. I would have, I would have thought once contact was established, and it was from various angles, it just had no cause to be marching in the direction of an umpire. Um, I've got to say, I'm pretty surprised you, at your take on that, given that you've umpired yourself. Umpires can't be subjected to that sort of rubbish when they're to encourage people to be umpires. And if that sort of thing is allowed to let go, um, that just gives licence for umpires at any level to be treated with complete disrespect. No, no, I don't believe so. I, I, I believe that a player has a right to come up and discuss a decision with, a, with an umpire. It happens all the time. Well, why did he shoulder charge him? Well... <laughs> Do you honestly believe he shoulder charged? No, not shoulder Matt charged. Steff Matt Stevick didn't. Matt but, could he, but could he not have stood there and just had the discussion? Well, why do you have to barge into him? Yeah, I'm saying, uh, look, that's why he's suspended for three weeks, because he made that mistake. But I don't believe there was any intent to do so. And in the end, he, he brushed past him. Look, he's paying the penalty for what people perceive as being a demonstrative act. I mean, I mean, the fact is that it was argued that it wasn't. Now, I believe that it wasn't, and Matt Stevick believes that it wasn't. But I also am now, I change in my initial view on it, that even if it wasn't, we have to take the view, because of the impact it has right through football, that the fact that it could have been viewed as demonstrative, he has to be suspended. So in that, I do change my opinion that he has to be judged very harshly because of the interpretation by other footballers right across this country. 
All right. I think we should also talk about the bigger issue of Toby Green and his yeah. reputation. Now, uh, I've written a piece of ASPN about that. It'll be up on Footyology tomorrow. But I reckon he's at a, a, real, a tipping point here. I mean, he's a fantastic player. He's a dual All-Australian. He's a best and fairest winner. 176 games, 10 seasons. But we're at the stage now where if he were to retire tomorrow, 10 years from now, I think we'd be remembering this stuff rather than the footy. And when you go through his list of offences, I mean, he's been charged 22 times. He's been suspended seven times. It's not just the amount, though. It's the sorts of things he's been suspended for. Now, that includes, this was actually his second instance of um, manhandling an umpire. Uh, there has been a fine for spitting in the direction of an opposition player. There's been a fine for pushing a player into a fence. There's been the the infamous flying karate kick when they were playing the Bulldogs, uh, a knee drop and eye gouging. It's pretty unsavoury stuff, Finey. And uh, I've got to say the parallel I thought of when I saw the three-game penalty was Phil Carman missing that 1977 grand final for Collingwood. Now, Green has, I guess, achieved more success than Carmen did, but he really does risk becoming a guy whose reputation uh, post-career isn't for what it should be. I agree. You know, you have a look at players who were heavily suspended and reported during their careers. The one that comes to mind for me is David Rees-Jones, and we have a, a sort of a habit here in Australia, this national leaning towards larrikinism that we look at it almost humorously and at sporting nights and interviews subsequent to David Rees-Jones retirement, it was always sort of giggled at how many times he got reported and a few sort of tales of how he got off and this and that. And quite seriously though, when you have a look at that rap sheet, it speaks to a player who has a very unsavory side to him. So, You've got to ask the question is whether or not Toby Green is able to arrest that, maybe sit back in the postseason and as his team prepares to take on Geelong and say to himself, you know what, these are all just about in, in uh, the suspended aspect of his reports. They're all avoidable. They're not part of play. They're not part of the game. I can change it. And I think you are right. I think if he doesn't, it's not just what he'll be remembered for. It's what he himself will be regretful of as he matures and looks back on a football career as missed opportunities. And we will never know, but I don't think many of us think Giants are going to win the premiership without him. And he will always have that nagging doubt as to whether or not he could have helped them to a famous first flag in 2021 had he just avoided the avoidable. Yeah, well, definitely a line in the sand moment for him over summer. I think it'd be interesting to see how he plays the game. In Well, let me ask you, Rob. This is the classic leopard and sports. Do you think he will change on the back of this very serious offence and the fact that he misses the rest of the finals? Is he capable of change? Yeah, I think so. Because I, I don't. we're not talking about the way a guy fundamentally plays footy. It's about all that annoying, grubby stuff that I chronicled before. That can be easily got out of someone's game. Um, maybe this will be the wake-up call. He certainly needs one. 
All right, yeah, we're I, agree, I agree with you, mate. By the way, he's matured off field. He's a great young bloke, and he had his travails early on in his footy career as a teenager. He's a good kid and a good man, and I think he can change. All right, we need to move on. Uh, we need to talk about a major appointment, uh, which has, and I'll get to this, uh, sort of surprisingly understated, but Collingwood has a new coach, and that man is Craig McRae, former uh, three-time Brisbane Premiership player, been officially unveiled as the Magpies' new coach. And I think if you go back to the sort of speculation that was going on after Nathan Buckley vacated the job mid-season, finally, I don't reckon too many people at that stage would have had Craig McRae in the fine, in the fine, in the frame as the new Magpie coach. Your thoughts? I think it's a great appointment. I think it shows a level of uh, thorough research and thorough um, interview by Collingwood. Have a look at his resume, Rowan. It is chock full of what you would look for in a prospective, not only coach to take you the journey from outside the eight to inside the eight, but also onto a premiership. Hawthorne, Richmond, Collingwood themselves, I think it's an ideal appointment and resisting a temptation by a big club to choose a headline act. Well done. Well, he's certainly been in the system a long time now, hasn't he? I mean, uh, he was a development coach at Richmond from 2007. You know, it's getting on for 15 years ago. Did that for three years. Uh, he went to Brisbane and did that development role in 2010. He went to Collingwood first time around as a development manager for five years, uh, took over Richmond's VFL side 2016, coached him to the VFL Premiership 2019, uh, looked after the forward setup for the Tigers last year and back to Hawthorne, not back to, to Hawthorne for this year. Having read Conrad Marshall's books uh, about two Richmond Premierships in 2017, 2019, uh, you do get a good insight into Craig McRae or Fly, as his uh, nickname was. Uh, really good player relationships, man. I think the players swear by him in terms of one-on-ones, not an authoritarian figure at all. He really does work on uh, close relationships with the players, but also very tactically astute. Uh, I, I guess the thing that surprised me, finally, is not just the lack of fanfare, but the... Uh, and I'm sort of pleasantly surprised, don't get me wrong. You know, you just associate Collingwood with drama and, you know, everything's got to be this big production. Maybe this is one sign that the club is sort of determined to move into a new era. I, I just sort of, I'm not sure I have the feeling that we're Eddie Maguire still president. Uh, this appointment might have happened and it might have happened in such low-key fashion. I remember, remember back... <laughs> Mick Malthouse's appointment as Collingwood coach, driving into the press conference in a luxury car, you know, with Eddie in the car, and uh, or Nathan Buckley, of course, the uh, toing and froing about the succession plan. This is so understated by comparison, and I, I think that's good. I think it's just almost like Collingwood saying, "Look, we know we've fallen off the pace a bit. We know we've got a bit of ground to make up. We think this guy's a really good hands-on." salt of the earth type coaching appointment. Let's roll up our sleeves and get on with it. Forget all the bluster about we are Collingwood. 
we've got to put the runs on the board, so let's go. That's what it says to me, and I think that's a, a really good message to be sending the football world. Do you agree with that? Entirely. Do you know what I feel as well, Rowan? I think that they've looked over their back fence, sort of um, figuratively speaking, and seen a club that they have often been compared to and for a great period of our lives been the fierce of rivals with Carlton and seen how shabbily they're handing, handling their new coaching appointment and that saga drags on and it drags on with the rest of the football world scratching their heads and pointing their fingers and Collingwood have said, we don't want to be party to that. We want to have some level of decorum and in doing so have quietly but very I think assiduously gone through the process of selecting a new coach and made a value, a, a sort of a valued appointment. Uh, maybe Carlton have shown them the how not to guide of replacing a coach. Well, if Carlton does go ahead and appoint Ross Lyon as coach, I think that will be a bit of a contrast too to the way Collingwood's gone. Uh, you know, the big name, the authoritarian figure. Um, they're certainly different approaches. But, uh, look, well done, Craig McRae. He's a really lovely guy. Uh, he was a very good footballer and, from all accounts, a very respected uh, football brain. So uh, gets the opportunity to be coach at senior level with one of the biggest clubs in the business. So well done, Craig McRae. And just on Carlton and their addiction to the Messiah principle, did you note during the week that they've made a play for Brian Cook to join their ranks? It seems as though they cannot, they just can't resist, can they? No, no. Well, I mean, uh, that one probably makes a bit more sense to me. Look, he, Brian Cook does have an incredible reputation and he's got the runs on the board at West Coast and Geelong, two clubs that, if you have a look at their histories, not only prospered under his watch, but have continued to prosper after he has left. So um, I could see why they'd be doing that. But uh, yeah, they certainly love a big name in a big position. Uh, all right, final item on the news agenda this week, and this one fairly massive as well, the grand final for a second year, not at the MCG. We all knew it was coming. Let's be honest, we knew this was coming for weeks, but hearing it officially announced, uh, sort of drives a bit of a dagger through the heart as a Melbourneian. Second year in a row, we miss out in the grand final. But let's waste no time in saying it will be in very good hands. I'm, look, put it this way, if it wasn't to be in Melbourne, I'm actually wrapped. It's in Perth. Optus Stadium is a wonderful uh, sporting venue. Uh, we saw the dream time game between Richmond and Essendon early this year. Uh, did it enormous justice and sold out the game. That was just a home and away game between two uh, non-WA sides. So clearly the grand final is going to be huge. It should be pretty spectacular. Uh, they haven't mucked around uh, getting the promos ready finally. I've already seen a, an ad from Channel 7 in Perth with uh, Basil Zemplis, Adrian Barrich and Ryan Daniels, their news sports news guys, marching towards the camera on the ground holding the Premiership Cup. So <laughs> they didn't muck around there, but uh, good luck to them. No, it's, it's going to be massive for Perth. And it's a heritage football state. They get to uh, see a grand final. When you think about the contribution WA has made to Australian football, uh, it's no less than that state deserves. Um, so, look, I think uh, it's a real shame we can't have it at the MCG, but next best thing, 
as far as I'm concerned. What do you reckon? I think it's great that we're going to have a grand final potentially in front of a packed house. And we know on the back of the Dreamtime game this year between Richmond and Essendon held in Perth that it is going to be a full house, so very exciting. But how's this, Robert? Without giving away my address, a couple of years ago or close to, um, my family moved uh, moved into a new house, a different place to live. And I would say that... Um, there are very few addresses in Melbourne closer to the MCG in terms of walking distance, literally one of the closest addresses to the MCG. So after a hundred and what, 20 odd years of grand finals being held in Melbourne, I would have been fairly confident that I would have been able to walk to a final series or two whilst here. Amazing that I haven't been able to do so. It's almost unthinkable. But there you go. Well, you are the kiss of death. Uh, Correct, the, the ultimate kiss of death. Be interesting having a walk around the G at like 2.30 on the Saturday afternoon uh, grand final day. That could be quite an emotional and sad uh, experience. Um, yeah, well, I mean, selfishly, uh, until last year, I'd been every grand final since 1973. Uh, I'm still waiting to make my 50. I've been stuck on 49 for two years. Now let's hope I don't cark it before we actually get the grand final back because I would like to bring up that half century of going to the grand final. Anyway, well, now... Well, good news for you there for Rowan. What's that? Well, didn't you not read the part of the deal of WA getting the grand final was extending the MCG's grand final exclusivity out to 2059. So you and I can both go as 95-year-olds. Yeah, I'm, I'm at a massively long odds to be still on this <laughs> earth at 95 years old. I'm probably at massive odds to be on this earth at 57 years old, to be honest, the way I'm feeling at the moment. But anyway, uh, no, well done, Perth. It will be a great occasion wherever it is played. All right, that's the news for this week. We've got two... Huge semi-finals to preview in uh, graphic and vivid and uh, insightful detail. Let's do that right now. On Footyology, wrap around. The first of this weekend's two finals is indeed the second semi-final. It is on Friday evening, Optus Stadium in Perth, 7.50pm Eastern Standard Time. And it is between Geelong and Greater Western Sydney. And the bookmakers, they have the Cats' fairly firm favourites. Palmer bet odds head-to-head for this game have Geelong paying $1.35 for the win. GWS on Palmer bet paying $3.12. Stats Insider, what do they say about this game? Well... Most of the talk, of course, revolves around Toby Green's suspension, as well as Geelong's horrendous finals form since winning the 2011 flag. Since the start of 2019, the Giants are 8-8 when Green hasn't played and 37-32 overall. So it doesn't suggest a massive discrepancy. With that said, when Green is on fire, the Giants are a totally different proposition winning 11 of their last 14 games when he's kicked at least three goals. As to Geelong, they're a staggering 6-14 in finals since 2012, and the Cats have kicked more than 80 points in just eight of those 
20 matches, hitting triple figures just once. That is becoming some sort of monkey on the back. Uh, big selection, obviously, Toby Green, massive out for GWS this week. But uh, what about the Cats as well, Finey? What are either side considering in terms of selection this week? Well, of course, Geelong have to replace Mark O'Connor. He did his hamstring in the first week of the finals, and he's a good run with tag a defender. But the good news is that Zach Tui is on schedule to come back into that side. And I think he was sorely missed, Rowan, in that first final, the run and drive that he offers off the back line, and also the fact that he can push forward and kick a goal. So... I'll get your take on that in a moment because it's not just one green that GWS has to replace. They've got double green issues. Tom Green came into the side having been plagued by hamstring injuries, but he fractured his arm in that first finals win over Sydney. And even though he played on with it, he's not going to be considered this week. Bright news, brighter news for them is an Adam Kennedy, who is a player that they like having in that side. He too has some run with capabilities, is over a hamstring strain, and is expected back in the lineup. And of course, in terms of green, that is with an E, not irreplaceable in the forward line, as we'll discuss shortly. We know that they do have a midfielder that was available to move forward during his last suspension and did pretty well. But first of all, uh, I'll ask you, for mine, a huge inclusion, Zach Tui, if he is right to go. And they say he will be. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it's interesting. We've talked a lot about Tom Stewart and his uh, the significance of his loss, but we probably haven't talked enough about the double barrel loss of uh, him and Tui, both being out of that side. So it's not much... Um, uh, not much wonder why they've been looked a lot more disorganised defensively over the last uh, three or four weeks. So, yeah, Tui's massive for them. And, uh, I mean, had it not been for the emergence of Stewart, Tui would probably be seen as a bigger part of that uh, defensive jigsaw puzzle than he is. But uh, tremendously experienced. Uh, he's been great for them, and he does offer a lot of rebounds. So uh, a really significant return for him, I think. Some really interesting stats around this game. I reckon we heard some courtesy of Stats Insider. But um, Geelong has been a side which, in terms of scoring, has been pretty efficient in recent years, but not so much this year, I think. An interesting contrast. We saw GWS last week make the most of their forward entries against the Swans. They are ranked seventh in the competition for scores per inside 50, the Cats are only 11th. Interestingly, the number of opportunities generated, those rankings are virtually flipped. So Geelong generating more opportunities than the Giants, but not using them as well. I think the big one here is Geelong, number one in the AFL for uncontested ball. Not only number one, they are more than double the differential of a number two ranked side, as we talk about every week. This is a team that likes to control possession, slow, methodical build-up. What we saw Port Adelaide do last week and what we saw GWS do when they beat the Cats in that earlier meeting, and that's significant too, is just put her fierce pressure on the Cats with the ball to the extent that Geelong started to turn the ball over. 
they weren't allowed to play that slow and patient game. And that is definitely the template you take in if you want to beat Geelong. I guess that earlier meeting is significant too for any round 21 it was at GMHBA Stadium. Uh, the Giants ended up winning that by 84 to 65, 19 points. But even with that one, have a look at the final score. Geelong, 8-17, GWS 13-6. So 25 scores as opposed to 19. And yet the side with fewer scoring opportunities won the game. So a lot has to go right for GWS to win this, particularly without Green. I feel like Geelong does have plenty of scope for improvement, just tidying up their game a bit and just being able to deal with that pressure a bit better than they did last week. How do you see it? I'll tell you what, I am surprised with the Palmer bet odds because they do point to a really dominant Geelong having it over the Cats. No, I don't see it that way at all. I'll explain why. The forward line didn't function last week for Geelong and we pointed to Gary Rowan as one player that, certainly needs to lift. I'm not saying that he can't, but his record in finals is sketchy. This week, Geelong come up against, well, if they had trouble with Alir Alir last week, arguably the one player in the competition who's even better at doing what Alir Alir does, which is intercept Mark and deny passage through the air. In other words, deny the Geelong forward line the opportunity to flex its muscles with Hawkins and Cameron. And that is Sam Taylor, who is in magnificent form. And really, had he put together a whole season, I'm sure would have been an All-Australian. So that problem doesn't go away. They've got a real problem in the middle of the ground, Rowan. And Paddy Dangerfield will play, but he's got a broken hand. And to me, that really speaks volumes as to Geelong's lack of depth. Now, do they replace Dalhouse, who couldn't touch the ball in the first final and has had many weeks where he hasn't had an impact on the game? They could bring Narkel in, but his form was very poor in the senior games he played towards the end of the year. Young Max Holmes could be tried. I know you'd personally like that, but that would be a big ask for the young man. And what I'm getting from Geelong is a real sense of lack of numbers to provide the necessary depth to attack this final series to the point where I'm sure Tui will play, but I'm not 100% sure he's 100%. On the other hand, Toby Green's a huge loss. But as I alluded to in my ins and outs, we saw Taranto fill that role very admirably when last time, Toby Green got in trouble with the tribunal. So that forward line could still function as well as it does with Toby Green in it. And I was really impressed by Hogan's performance in the first week of the finals. Now, I'll throw it back to you, Rowan, and ask you whether or not, even with Taranto out of the midfield, that GW, I feel GWS has the midfield depth. Now with Canilio back in the side, with Kelly and a young hopper playing particularly good football. I think they've got more depth in the midfield than their opponents. How do you read the midfield battle? Oh, look, probably on paper, I'd, I'd probably just about have it all square, but there's no doubt the Giants group does have the better form. Um, you know, some serious Geelong players have gone off the boil at precisely the wrong time. Uh, you know, we've said all year that this premiership will be won with timing as much as anything. And unfortunately for the Cats, 
uh, theirs really is off. Not for the first time. Is that a consequence of them being too old and not durable enough? Well, that's a, a bigger picture debate, I suppose. But the fact is, they are some distance off from playing their best footy. The other uh, factor we haven't mentioned just quickly too is the venue. Um, neither side has fared particularly well at this ground. The, the Giants have played there six times for one win and the Cats have played there six times for two wins. So um, someone's got to adapt better to it. But uh, I think you're right. I, I think all form uh, points towards the Giants. Um it's other considerations, I think, that might make you tip Geelong. So I'm going to throw to you to uh, give us a little summary and your tip for this first final. Sure. Well, for mine, we've got two teams, to me, in the last all-important, say, four or five weeks, lead up to the finals and the first week of the finals, heading in different directions. For the Giants... It's been their best football of the season and coincides with being able to select more players and have a bigger list to choose from than they have for most of the season. They've been pretty admirable throughout the year, but again, the loss of Toby Green is substantial. I'm not denying that, but I am sort of encouraged by what Tim Taranto did in his absence about a month ago. As for Geelong, can they arrest the slide? It would require... Tom Hawkins to hit the scoreboard and Cameron. And let me tell you, that's not impossible. They are super professional foot, pardon me, footballers who have previously been able to lift their team over the line. And again, Gary Rowan, look, he hasn't played this much football because he's a dud. He's got the ability to turn it around as well. And we know that when that three were travelling, that looked like the best forward line in the comp. I think Sam Taylor is the kryptonite to their supermen. And that's why I'm picking the GWS Giants. I think they make truck pretty well around the ground. I'm investing a lot of faith in Mummy. Isn't it interesting that Mumford, in his last two games, and they may well be his last two games, I know he's considering going around again, but uh, played against the Swans and will play the Cats, both his former teams. Now I'm investing some faith in him, but I believe the Giants can do it. And I'm tipping them by 19 points. That same margin is down at GMHBA Stadium. All right. No, very well argued. Um, absolutely every reason to be tipping in that direction. I'm going to differ. And uh, this one, like I said before, it's probably not based on logic as much as just a hunch. Look, I've got enormous respect for this Geelong side. Uh, always have. This last month has been really as poor a form as Geelong has been in for a long time. They've lost three of their last four games now, including a final. Uh, is there any suggestion there that they're going to recover it? Well, I just refuse to believe that a side with this many good players is just going to bow out of the finals without a whimper. I mean, they this is what they have been working 10 years towards. The recruiting's been methodical. Um, they've done everything right, mostly. I can't believe that they're going to let it go without putting out some sort of resistance. And I do think that unlike a more inexperienced team, I think this is a team that is capable of arresting the slide very quickly. I think we're going to get a very good insight into how this game will be determined in the first 15, 20 minutes of it, to be honest. And I reckon you'll know then 
whether the Cats are up for it. And if they get off to a good start, look out, Giants, because I think we've uh, started to forget a bit what Geelong is capable of. I still think they've got a bit of a shot left in the locker on this one, and that's why I'm going for them to win it by 12 points. All right, so that is the first final played, the second semi-final. The second final on the schedule, which is the first semi-final, if that makes sense, is on Saturday in Brisbane. Saturday evening at the Gabba sees the first semi-final. It is played at 7.20pm Eastern Standard Time. The first semi-final between Brisbane and the Western Bulldogs. And the betting on Palmer bet, what are the bookies saying on this one head-to-head? Well, Brisbane... A pretty warm favourite, the Lions offering $1.61. Western Bulldogs got their act together last week in that second half against Essendon. You can get $2.33 on Palmer Bet head-to-head against Brisbane. And uh, those odds were current at 8am Wednesday morning, uh, closer to game time. Uh, Check how significantly, if at all, they have changed on your Palmerbet app or at the website, palmerbet.com. Always remember, of course, to gamble responsibly. What does Stats Insider say about this one? Well, the Bulldogs won their first final in five years last week. They are pitted in another sudden-death matchup in a hostile venue this week. Over the years, the Dogs have really struggled at the Gabba, winning just eight of their 24 matches with that 33% win rate qualifying as the Bulldogs' third worst among active venues. In fact, the Lions have won seven of their last nine against the Dogs at the Gabba. That said, the Bulldogs were plus 22 for contested possession against Essendon last week, and that was their best return in 10 weeks. And just the fifth time all season, they've enjoyed at least a plus 20 edge in that department. Conversely, the Lions have only won the contested ball count in four of their last 10 games, while they were pummeled by a season worst 22 last week against Melbourne in that stat. Uh, well, one winner and one loser, of course, in this game. Finally, uh, what are the Lions thinking about in terms of getting back on the winning track. And the Bulldogs, well, I just want to keep that second half form going. Uh, Any changes they're considering? Really only minor changes here. Ryan Lester uh, could come back into the side. I tell you, I don't know, I'll I'll throw this straight to you. Graham Birchall, to me, seems a luxury that at this stage of the finals, the Brisbane can't afford to play. I mean, I don't think he has a big enough impact on the game. And I know that his experience has been invaluable and we're talking about Birchall on the back of Hodge as being highly influential at the club and well done. His kicking is really the reason he's in the team and I don't think it warrants a selection spot. What do you say? Uh, yeah, look, on, on purely on form, I think he'd struggle. It's very hard for us to judge accurately, though, the, um, I guess, leadership qualities offered out on the ground. I mean, I, I hear that he has played no lesser a role than Luke Hodge did for the Lions in that similar vein. So I think they'd be reluctant to give him up um, in such a precarious place now. It's an interesting poser, but it would be a brave 
man who dropped him, I think, given the position they're in now. You know, I've heard that. I'm surprised at a back line that's got Harris Andrews, Gardner, potentially Lester and Daniel Rich needs the guiding hand of a Birchall. That's a pretty bloody experienced back line. Anyhow, just one that I thought I'd throw up. As for the Bulldogs, Zane Cordy pulled out. He was ill and couldn't play last week. But he's available, and so is Hayden Crozier, who has completed his 12-day concussion protocol. Now, Ryan Gardner came in. It's hard to judge his game because, of course, it was pouring for most of the game down in Launceston, and that is grist for the mill for a defender. So Gardner did nothing wrong, but I don't think he holds his spot. And I feel as though it probably... It's an interesting one because they don't have a tall forward line now, the Bulldogs, do they? I guess they want a bit of cover for Shaqie, and that'll mean that Zane Cordy can come. Um, well, pardon me, Shaqie's for the Bulldogs. Uh, Brisbane don't have a tall forward line, I should say. And that, for me, sort of brings into question, do you play the taller or the shorter for, uh, backman? I guess they need some cover, I should say, for McInerney when he goes forward. And for that reason, I think they'll play Zane Cordy. Now... As far as the matchups concerned, I think there's one that we need to start with, Rowan, and I'll put it back to you, but beat Charlie Cameron and you're a long way to sorting out the problem of beating Brisbane. Does it fall to a Taylor Duray? I think he'd be a great matchup, actually. That, that almost shapes as a perfect matchup for him because uh, he is a very tight defensive player who can also uh, win plenty of his own ball. I mean, Cameron is the key. This is a thing for Brisbane last week. I think they need Cameron and Danaher to step up. They're not going to get the job done otherwise. Um, any more matchups there you want to focus on? I've got a few stats I was going to roll out here. Well, certainly, I think one that really falls squarely and fairly in Brisbane's court and puts them ahead of the game is that they can focus on Harris Andrews playing on Norton. Now, for mine, Norton is absolutely key to the Bulldogs winning. Uh, we know no Bruce. We know Hugo Hagen hasn't measured up. And Shaqie last week came in and kicked a couple of goals, but I wouldn't be holding my breath for him to be a match winner. I think if you can match up against Norton, you've got the battle almost won. And isn't Harris Andrews the perfect man for the job? Because not only is he a good defender, in terms of taking a mark, but he's got great reach on the spoil. And I think you need reach when you play on Norton. History between those sides, it doesn't necessarily tell you much. Now, they played uh, in back in round four at Mars Stadium in Ballarat. Pretty cold, windy day, that one. And the result in the end was a 19-point win to the Bulldogs, 10-13-73 to 8 6 54. I'm not sure how good a guide that is, though. The Bulldogs started off the season in very fine fettle. This was their fourth win in a row uh, for the Lions. After this one, they'd only won one game in that first four. So there was a, a big gap between how well either side was playing. Um, so And it's a fair while back, too. Statistically, I guess this is about which forward line can tick over best and which defence can hold the opposing forward line in check enough. These are the two high-scoring teams in the comp. Brisbane, number one this year. Bulldogs, number two. They generate a lot of opportunities. Brisbane, one for inside 50s. The Western Bulldogs, third. 
and they're very efficient with those opportunities. The Bulldogs, uh, number one for scores per inside 50. Brisbane, number two. In ranking terms, the biggest difference is in uncontested possession. Um, the Bulldogs rank third on the differential, so that Brisbane just 11th. The Bulldogs, a big handball side. And I think the Lions, uh, Chris Fagan will be drilling into them all week. Close up, close up on the Bulldogs. Shut down those handball options. I think the worrying thing for Brisbane is the extent to which that Bulldog midfield was able to click into gear in that second half last week. Liberatore, outstanding. McRae, outstanding. Bontempelli really started to get his A game back. So all those um, regular suspects or usual suspects, if you like, all having big games. And we saw the Dogs really bully Essendon in the finish, despite Essendon having a couple of great midfielders in Parrish and Merritt. So that is one concern for the Lions. Another big factor for me here, Finey, is the venue. Um, No doubt about that. The Bulldogs have struggled here. And Brisbane are huge here. Their record at the Gabba this year is 9-1. Away from the Gabba, they are only 6-7. So big discrepancy there. That is a huge advantage. All right, I'm going to uh, throw it to you for your final summary and tip on this game. You know, well, I can do it in one word if we're pressed for time. No, I want you to drag it out a bit. Okay, one word would be Gabba. I think you've made a very good case to say that Brisbane at home lorded over the doggies a bit. And just the fact that there's not a lot of a difference between these two teams, great to be able to play on your your own dung heap. Let's stretch it out a little bit. Games are often won and lost. The arm wrestle in the midfield will be fascinating. As you said, Bontempelli started to look his best self in the second half last week. They need that. They need the A-grade Bontempelli. I think he'll turn up, by the way. McRae, ever consistent. They get good first service with Liberatore. And outside of the mid, Trelaw has been a welcome return. I think they're matched, though, by Neil, who's back to playing Brownlow-type football, mid-40s of numbers last week. Wow, that's good in a final. Zorko, he's a beauty. We know that. They get that outside mid-run or a wingman-type game from McCluggage, and they get it in good order as well. And they've got plenty of young support through the midfield. And we've seen them call on that through the year. And as far as the ruck battle is concerned... McInerney is the strongest of the Ruckman available. They continue to play Lewis Young in that position, the Doggies. English was good around the ground last week and can offer Ruck back up. One thing about McInerney, I haven't really seen him... um, I've seen him dominate in the Ruck, but I haven't seen him sort of dominate around the ground and be a match winner. So I don't think they're going to lose the game there, the Doggies. But I think where they do ultimately have to face up to the odds is that really potent small forward line of Brisbane's and a goal-kicking midfield. Because we know that Zorko kicks goals and we know that they can come down. And Lockie Neal also can be a present danger in front of goals. And McCluggage, not a great shot at goal, has kicked a couple of important ones recently. So put together the home ground, put together a forward line that is just dangerous in the air and at ground level. And I do put Brisbane ahead of the doggies Not by a lot, seven points. Well, I find myself again really arguing against logic. Um, 
the venue is huge. Uh, Brisbane has a big advantage on that score. Uh, I think their forward line can present some problems for the doggies. It's that midfield group. I've just got so much faith in the Bulldogs midfield. Uh, I'll tell you what what it is for me, though, ultimately, Finey. It's faith in my own reading of this season. I just had a quick look at my pre-season ladder. I had the Bulldogs finishing runner-up. And for most of this year, that's looked pretty on the money, just going off in the last few weeks. But by all intents and purposes, they were a top four team. Uh, and I was really impressed with that second half last week. I mean, that game was right in the balance at halftime and it was a cakewalk by the end. And all those things we saw and liked about the Bulldogs came back into play, not just the midfield, but the forward setup too. Norton, who struggled for much of the second half of the season, he really got some confidence back. He ended up with three goals. The move of Shackie seemed to work. Cody Waitman is a real... X factor for them. And uh, yeah, okay, you can talk about how he got his goals, but he ended up with four goals. And in those conditions, it was decisive. Look, now just, just on that, Rowan, with Waitman, and I know this is very unfair, but because there was a spotlight on how he got his goals, I fear that he's going to be treated a little more harshly by the umpires. In other words, it might go from feast to famine for him in, in terms of free kicks. Well, it'll certainly be watched interestingly. Uh, my point here, though, is I think the Bulldogs are, in the space of a half, back to the sort of level they have shown for much of this year. Uh, is a, a half of football enough to base it on? Maybe not, but I've just got a hunch on this one. I've got a hunch they can reverse that trend at the Gabba, and I've got a hunch that they're going to win this one and head into a preliminary final at least. I'm going for the Western Bulldogs by two points, which means we are both tipping differently in either game, just the way we like it. All right, that is our finals previews done. But there's been a lot of great finals over the years. And in our favourite segment on this show, it's time to step into the time capsule, take a trip back in football time and revisit a couple of great memories. Fantastic footy flashbacks. All right, it's flashbacks time. Well, semi-final week, and obviously we've had, uh, well, 130-odd years' worth of semi-finals played out. Of course, they've changed in nature back in the the good old days, finally, a second semi-final was to progress you to a grand final spot and you weren't out altogether if you lost. Not the case these days. First and second semi-finals, both sudden death, but a lot of finals in under either banner. Uh, I'm going for one only a couple of years ago, as a matter of fact, and I thought this was a good one because it involved both teams uh, who are competing again this week, the venue being used is the same, and it was a very thrilling finish indeed. We're going back to 2019. It is the semi final at the Gabba between the Brisbane Lions and the Greater Western Sydney Giants, and it was an absolute thriller. Check it out. Off the ground, Toby Green! What a footballer this man is! That's his second. 
Lions, Lions, clever. Charlie Cameron used to be moving better than he was a few moments ago. Zorgo's got an open goal square. Hitwood. Adventurous there out of defence. It's a two one on one. Charlie Cameron tracking him is Kennedy. I'd still think about running close to Shane Mumford and just asking <laughs> for a, just a helping hand. Absolutely. That is now you've been warned, okay? I've told you. Has a bit of a stumble and a fumble. Didn't do that particularly well, Lloyd. Green, Cameron loses his man. Williams was good there. Toby Green tried to step through some traffic. Taranto sold Williams into some trouble. Charlie Cameron, timely on the hip and shoulder. Lockie Neal streaming forward. Rayner bending it and slotting it. DeBoer taking the ground. Hopper, just the strength in the tackle. Gets it to Kelly. Cameron in good shape. Heath Shaw, one of the great antagonists. That's broken up. Numbers now with Brisbane. Hodge. McStay. And he bends it through. They have to work over time again. Hodge, the quarterback. Big tackle from Hopper. Yeah, advantage has been paid. Here they go, the Lions. Lions just outside 50. Huge wave of momentum here for Brisbane. Short ball, Cameron. Drag the Lions back to within a kick. It's bending. It's bending. He sticks it through. <laughs> High ball inside 50 for the Lions. Haynes to come in from the side. It doesn't quite get to him. McStay at the front. Here's Hipwood. On the left, should kick a goal, and he has. He goes to a 2v1. And Josh Kelly just lurking in the pocket. McCluggage on the fly. Long ball to half forward. Davis in good position. He's played round. a very good game of yeah. footy. A big contested mark. They keep it in. McCarthy. Low ball and the Christensen got a hold. Zorko got it. Can who will get through? Ran out of space. Down the line. Harris Andrews and Cameron. All Australians both in. Daniels runs onto it. Can he kick a miracle goal? The little man, the second shortest man in the game, kicks the goal. And the Giants are in front. Wow. Attempting the fist. High ball forward. Haynes is a very good player. Mumford, McInerney, it's going to come back. Harris Andrews drifts it, and here they are again. What about that combination? Phil Davis, Nick Haynes. Andrews has got to be so clean and find someone with his kick, Kenny. Broken up in the air. Berry's got it. There's your sire and the Giants. are through to a prelim final and have a look at Leon Cameron and his coaching staff. What a game of football. Ripping game. Good choice, Ro. I'll tell you an interesting fact. Now, that game was only two years ago, correct? Yep. Of the 12 goals kicked by the Giants in that game, you know nine of those goals won't be playing this weekend because there were three to Jeremy Cameron, 
Toby Green kicked a couple. He's out suspended. Jeremy Finlayson's on the outer. Brent Daniels is injured. And Zach Williams, who's a Carlton, kicked a goal. So they're going to have a different goal-kicking lineup if they want to beat the Cats, won't they? They have had a very uh, fluid playing list over the years, it's fair to say. Uh, look, Brisbane would have been filthy about that. I mean, it was all set up for them. Um, you know, they fluffed their lines the previous week against Richmond, but uh, okay, finals in the experience. But this is one I think most people thought they've got to win this one, surely. Uh, easy to forget, too, that year the Giants finished sixth after the home and away rounds, ended up reaching a grand final. So it was a massive finals campaign for them. Uh, Brisbane in a bit of trouble, two couple of late goals to McStay and Cameron in that third quarter, and then Hipwood early in the last quarter within two points. Goal to Josh Kelly. Alan Christensen makes a, the margin three points. Uh, Brisbane in front, and then Brent Daniels. That was a seriously good goal from him, a great run around the boundary, and then ducking inboard and curling it around beautifully. So that was an absolutely outstanding win for GWS, sent them into a preliminary final. Uh, another thriller, that one. We might do that next week. And, of course, they ended up in a grand final against Richmond-Brisbane. Well, they'll be hoping for a bit more luck on the finals front because their record in these last couple of years isn't that great at the pointy end of the season. All right, Finey, uh, like I said, heaps of semifinals to choose. Uh, how far back are you going? Well, I don't go back um, into antiquity. You, you know what? I, I know that you like sort of highlighting games that are a bit underrated for their quality and excitement level. And I, I think this one's been lost in maybe maybe because the winner didn't go on to play in a grand final. But I'm going back to 2010 and the first semi-final at the MCG between the Western Bulldogs and Sydney that was a, a ripping game of football. It was a seesawing affair. Scores level at quarter time and at three-quarter time. Now, I don't want to give away uh, the game. We've got some highlights from the third quarter and from the last quarter. And I guess when you hear who those goals are uh, from, you'll know who the winner is. So let's sit back. It's a nail-biter, the 2010 first semi-final between the Doggies and the Swans. We're into attack in this third quarter. Murphy twists and turns. Gets onto the left. Horse caught behind here. Grundy can't take the mark again. That allows Grant into the picture. A left foot kick. He's being quiet. It rolls towards goal. Kennedy did well to get it back to Bradshaw, who fired out the handball to Matna, who pick up at the knees, and then he's run down by Murphy. Wasn't that a great tackle? Dropped straight to his knees. And Murphy's straight up, kicks towards Johnson. It's knocked over, so is Cross in the back. Since that uh, Barry Hall goal just before halftime, Cross placing it for Hall. And he just dominated that contest of little consequence now because it's all about Hall's kick. Man on the mark, 40 out. Hall has three. Starts a little left, straightens. He has his fourth. And the Bulldogs suddenly have belief. And that's what the Bulldogs are suddenly finding more to a bit of a contest. Kirk just without the speed to get himself clear. Addison to Grant. Oh, the door's open here. He can line them up. In fact, he delivers to the only Ford in the 50. Shaw played it well, but 
over to Williams. Toward back to Williams, and he's got a loose player on the 50. It's John Syracuse. He's looking for Murphy, he's got him! Bob Murphy hasn't scored a goal as yet. It's just made it. Dogs lead by seven. We're just beyond the halfway mark. Hudson flicking it clear for Boyd. He's not well intentioned, didn't get a result. Free kick though to Boyd. And the Bulldogs winning the contest at the moment. Clever kick for Eagleton. Dogs dangerous. A goal here would really set them up. And Bazza was up, but he couldn't bring it down. Gilby, John Syracuse. It's the Dogs by 13. Cross short to Addison. Well, you'd think a minute or so. They don't want to go too early with this. They might have squandered an opportunity of going forward. Paulo with a great pair of hands. Takes a hugely important mark. Four goals for the night against the club that he captained to the Premiership on this ground five years ago. Kicks to the crowd, close to the boundary line, and Cross takes a beauty in the pack. He's within range, and a score would ensure that the Bulldogs didn't lose before extra time. He's got to have a shot, doesn't he? Oh, he doesn't. Looks, back he, to Harbrow. He probably doesn't want to have a point, which gives them back possession of the footy tip, so it's probably a smart move. Waste another 30 seconds. I don't want to give it up. He has Murphy loose, and even though there's no one on the mark, Murphy will go back for maximum time milking effect. And now go for territory. The Bulldogs are there. Brad Johnson lives on for one more week. But for Kirk and for Ruse, the curtain falls. Ah, uh, yes, remember a well pulsating uh, finish. Gee, I'd be pretty dirty on you, Fanny, if I was a Swan supporter, as if they're not dirty enough after the events of last week. But in highlight anything decent they did. Um, they deserve a bit of a tribute here. They actually got out to a five-goal lead late in the second quarter. Um, they had unanswered goals in that second quarter from Reese Shaw, Jude Bolton, Daniel Bradshaw. Remember the Sydney version of Daniel Bradshaw, Adam Goods, Ben McGlynn. They were five goals up. It was 8-4 to 3-4, and back came the doggies. They certainly made most of the running in that second half. The Swans hanging on. Unfortunately for them, just couldn't hang on long enough. Cracking game, though. What are your predominant memories of it? Well, I remember an important goal, an important assist to one of the real whipping boys of football. And, and this player, full of talent, whenever the Bulldogs did poorly, he was absolutely hung out to dry. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, no. Jared Grant. Ah, oh, yes, yes. You know, so a lovely goal. I mean, he certainly had the skill, didn't he? And in the end, a good win by the Doggies the week after they came up against the Saints. And unlike the previous year where they were bloody unlucky in the preliminary final, they got put to the torch in the second half and lost by about five goals. That being said, it was a pretty good era for the Doggies and something for their fans to remember and enjoy heading into a cutthroat final this weekend.
Do you know the uh, doggies actually fielded a debutante in this game as well? Uh, didn't wasn't exactly the stepping board to a. Yeah, I, I long, think I know who it was. Yeah, uh, tell Is me it who it was. Young Hooper. It was Andrew Hooper, number forty-one, played his first game, uh, kicked a goal in this game too, but uh, only five disposals. Didn't play again. Played five games the next year and seven games in. Uh, sorry. He played five games the next year, only one game in 2012, and that was all over. But anyway, seven more games than we've played, and he made his debut in a final. So something to remember there. No, good uh, good memories, another thriller, and uh, pretty exciting listening, that finish between the Doggies and the Swans. That's it for this week, this preview edition, semi-final week, of course. Make sure... Um, you tune in to Footyology Final Siren, our post-game live stream, both on Twitter and Facebook on Friday evening following that Geelong GWS game. Uh, this podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. We thank Palmerbet for their support this year. They've been fantastic to us. Always remember, though, to gamble responsibly. And we do say that seriously, uh, a message well worth heeding. What about our other great sponsors, Finey? 144 Bridport Street, Rowan. I know that every burger lover in Melbourne knows the address and we're always in absolute awe of their support. I speak of Andrew's Hamburgers. Thanks, guys. And thank you to Nick Spartels and the boys at West Point Properties. Best house in the street, West Point. And thank you also to the best sports data analysts in the business at Stats Insider, sports and data-driven industry leader, providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world. Everything's free to use. Some great writing on there too. So check it out at statsinsider.com.au. Give them a follow too on Twitter at Stats Insider. That is it. Uh, plugs done. Uh, mentioned Footyology Final Siren, our live stream. We'll be back in podcast form uh, on Sunday to wrap up both these semifinals. Um, thanks for your support, everyone. You can support us in a material fashion, either at the supporter page, wherever you're listening to this podcast, or at the many Patreon links on the Footyology website, footyology.com. Check it out. Some particularly good writing this week. Uh, I know uh, I've written something about TV commentary, finding which has um, uh, generated a fair bit of reaction, it's fair to say. So uh, you might be interested in that. But some other good stuff, even beyond the sporting and football worlds. Check it out, footyology.com. Dot au. Uh, have a great rest of the week and weekend, everyone. Let's hope we get two cracking semifinals and we'll see you again very soon to talk about them. See you later.